0: Welcome to the Enlorm podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, anisense technology, or ASO technology to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to NANOREL patients and to do that for free for life.
1: In the previous lessons, our host, Dr. Stan Crook, has taught us about the components of the cardiovascular system, including the blood, the heart, the arteries, and the veins. In the last lesson, Dr. Crook was explaining the kidney, or spigot, as he likes to call it. In this episode, he's continuing with the kidney, so if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would strongly recommend starting there and then continuing this episode. But if you have listened to the first part of the kidney lesson, keep listening. I learned so much in this episode. Hope you do, too.
0: Now let's move on to another central role that uh, kidneys uh, handle, and that is helping The heart, the blood vessels, and the autonomic nervous system manage blood pressure. Long term, blood pressure must be maintained within a narrow band to maintain health. On the other hand, blood pressure must be very flexible to meet all the demands imposed on on your body every second of every day. Consider what has to happen when you rise from a sitting position to a standing position position. It's really quite amazing that it it happens. You understand that if you stand too rapidly, you can get dizzy. But have you ever asked why? The, The reason is you have a whole set of systems that are now upping the amount of blood that's pumped, upping the pressure in your arteries, and managing then to give you the amount of blood pressure you need now to stand as opposed to sit. And then if you start walking... Other things have to happen to allow you to do that. And should you run, obviously you need to increase your heart rate, you need to increase your blood pressure, you need to do a bunch of things to help you manage what you do every minute of every day. When you stand up suddenly and you're dizzy, that all that really means is it's taking a little while to get your for your cardiovascular system to adjust so that you can do what you need to do. Uh, again, just marvelous to think about how sophisticated these systems must be to allow you to do all the things that you do every day. You do them without thinking, but if you ever stop and think about it, you'll marvel, as I do, at how brilliantly constructed the body is. Remember, of course, that blood pressure is dependent on cardiac output, which is affected by the rate at which the heart moves, uh, beats, and the force of contraction and of course in addition to that the kind of uh, constriction of uh, of arteries that it has to pump against all of these things are managed minute by minute second by second to assure that you can do the things you like to do and the kidney of course is ideally positioned to help manage all this because it's Measuring, it's getting every drop of blood, it's measuring the blood pressure that it encounters against the filters. So it knows every second of every day whether blood pressure is high, low, or in between, and how much blood your your, your heart is pumping. The most obvious place to put a blood pressure cuff, if you like, or a gauge to measure blood pressure would be right next to each one of those little uh, filters or glomeruli. And that's exactly what the body does there is a little blood pressure gauge called the juxtaglomerular apparatus next to the glomerulus, an apparatus that measures blood pressure, JGA. And it's just sitting there measuring how much pressure that filter is feeling. If it measures blood pressure that's too low, it will take action. If it measures blood pressure that it thinks is too high, it will take an opposite action. And so the kidney can then increase blood pressure by increasing blood volume, since the amount of pressure in a fluid system is, of course, dependent on the amount of fluid. The kidney feels your blood pressure is too low. It will help you retain more water. And, of course, in that process, it retains more salt and electrolytes and other things. So there are two hormones that regulate water resorption vasopressin, a peptide hormone made in a part of the brain, and aldosterone, a hormone that's made in the adrenals. Always a yin and a yang. And so vasopressin is secreted, and it encourages the kidney to resorb more water and and electrolytes. And aldosterone does the opposite. And so that balance between vasopressin and aldosterone is how you maintain your blood volume and how much salt and other things you have in your blood. That's why vasopressin is called the anti-diuretic hormone, meaning it's anti, it opposes more water being cleared in urine, diuresis. On the other hand, aldosterone does exactly the opposite. Of course, managing water and electrolytes are important, but. Even more important is that the kidney does in response to signals that it measures at the JGA. Sometimes it makes mistakes, but if it thinks the pressure's too low, it will then cause an enzyme called renin uh, to be released from the kidney. And renin is an enzyme that is activated, and it breaks down other proteins to produce things like angiotensin and angiotensinogen. And these are very potent vasoconstrictors. They cause the arteries and arterioles to constrict, which, of course, is an even more effective way of raising blood pressure. Key point number five is that the kidney plays a critical role in maintaining normal blood pressure. It can increase blood volume by resorbing more water and salt, and it can cause arteries to constrict raising blood pressure, via the renin-angiotensinogen system. We Let's move on to diseases of the kidney, and there are two broad groups. Though There are diseases that are caused by things outside the kidney that then damage the kidney, and then there are diseases of the kidney caused by the kidney. Let's talk about extra renal causes, that is, Causes of kidney dysfunction that occur not in the kidney but elsewhere. The most obvious one is loss of blood supply to the kidney. Since the kidney uses so much energy, any disruption in the the blood supply to the kidney is going to cause some real trouble. When there's an acute loss of blood pressure and an acute then loss of blood to the kidney, let's say it's due to a heart attack that requires the patient has to be resuscitated. So basically the patient has died, the heart has stopped, The organ that you worry the most about at that stage is the kidney because that disruption in the supply of energy to the kidney can do immediate and terrible damage. And that's called acute tubular necrosis. And all that means is death. Of kidneys and so among the first things that happens when a patient has to be resuscitated is we try to make sure that there's enough blood flow to the kidney to prevent what would be the death of the hunks of the kidney key point number six blood flow to the kidney is essential any disruption of blood flow can do immediate and lasting harm to the kidneys because the kidney also regulates blood pressure itself if atherosclerosis narrows the arteries to the kidney which restricts blood to the kidney not only does the blood pressure increase and of course that makes things worse now you've got a vicious cycle You're not getting blood to the kidney because the arteries are are all gunked up. You've got red blood pressure going up to try to do it. The kidney says, I'm not getting enough blood, so I'm going to increase blood pressure more. Now you've got a vicious cycle, and, and that's how hypertension and other things can get out of hand. That's an example of compensatory changes that make sense from one organ's perspective, the kidneys. But do the overall organism great harm. Another type of problem that the kidney can have is that there are some things that clog up the filter. And obviously, if you clog up the filter, it doesn't work. Your coffee doesn't taste very good because you're not getting much coffee through the filter, both the kidney and your coffee filter. Gunk on the filter is not good for you. So what could cause such a problem? Most of the time, it's due to some inflammatory response. Uh, say you have a strep throat when you're a kid. One of the responses is to make antibodies, and sometimes that process goes awry, and you make antibodies that are too much or they're too big or they're too high affinity, and those antibodies clump together, and sometimes they activate a thing called complement but that makes everything even worse. And so you can end up with acute, meaning fast, glomerular sclerosis, meaning a rapid reduction in the number of functional glomeruli, and that of course can lead to real problems with the kidney. There are other things that can do it like systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE, and other chronic uh, inflammatory things like arthritis. Certain cancers can also cause proteins to be made in great abundance, and they can damage the kidney once again by just clumping up at the filter. And probably the best known cancer that can do this is multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma cells are cells in blood that make a whole bunch of smaller little proteins. And those things are called Ben's jones proteins, named after the people who discovered them. And those things then clog up the filter and can kill the kidney. And often patients with multiple myeloma are really troubled by kidney dysfunction. The kidney is exposed to blood. So if you have anything that's bad for you in your blood, the kidney's going to get it. And so if you have, for example, been eating a lot of mercury or lead or practically anything else you can think about, that's really dangerous. Why obviously the kidney is one of the places that gets damaged. An interesting example of a drug that can cause kidney damage that you take a lot of probably is ibuprofen. It's used as a you know, to reduce pain. That's great. It will do that. But there are patients who are very, very sensitive to ibuprofen and can have kidney dysfunction just taking normal ibuprofen doses. There are many other drugs that can do it. A lot of anticancer drugs are kidney toxic, like cisplatinum and cytoxin. And that's what you'd expect. The kidney is getting every drop of blood. So it's going to get all the nasty things that you you end up having in your body. Another uh, disease that that happens outside the kidney, but can do damage to the kidney is diabetes. Diabetes is a very bad disease because it does wide ranges of damage. In addition to having too much glucose, it causes damage to the small little blood vessels, and that can lead to damage in any organ. And among the organs that's most sensitive to that is the kidney. Small vessel disease, really does a lot of harm to the kidney, small vessel disease caused by diabetes. It can also do the same kind of problem to the blood vessels in the eye and lead to blindness. And that's why really bad diabetic patients often have kidney and eye disease. So key point number seven, all of the examples such as antibodies and complement clogging, the filter, toxins, and diabetes, speak to the fact that the kidney filters every drop of blood that passes through it. So anything that is a problem in the blood can be a problem for the kidney. And since kidneys depend on blood flow uh, to be healthy, diabetes can cause kidney damage uh, because it reduces blood flow and damages the small blood vessels and the kidneys themselves can make it worse. And in addition, of course, If you have a hemorrhage and you lose blood, or you have a heart attack and you stop pumping blood, the kidney is typically the organ we worry the most about. The kidney can also fail to do its job. One of its biggest jobs is to resorb water, ions, glucose, and the like. If the kidney is receiving too much vasopressin, it will resorb too much water. And if it resorbs too much water, that can be a real problem for you do more than just increase blood pressure, you end up with other kinds of problems. On the other hand, if you've got too much aldosterone, you can then get rid of too much water. Problems there, glucose resorption, ion absorption, all these things are tightly regulated and all of them can go wrong. A disease that's manifested in the kidney that is not a kidney cause disease is amyloid kidney disease. Amyloid just means pink stuff that you can see under a microscope that accumulates in organs and tissues. And so you have amyloid in your brain if you have Alzheimer's or some other kinds of diseases. And you can also get amyloid in other places as well. It depends on what's caused. Amyloid is a bunch of proteins, and some proteins, like TTR, that you have normally made by the liver, can have mutations or not, really. Older people don't need even to have mutations, and it can precipitate in the kidneys and cause kidney damage there. And there are many other types of proteins that can precipitate in the kidney, producing amyloid kidney disease. And then this is a real problem uh, for many, many patients. Now, let's move on to intrarenal diseases. And so the first thing that the kidney does is filter. And so anything that causes the filters to dysfunction is a bad thing. Sometimes you can have, get, get holes in your filter, and you start passing through a lot of different proteins. And that leads to what's called protein-wasting nephropathy. All that means is you're wasting protein in your urine, and because the kidney is sick, nephropathy. Again, that, that can happen, and there are lots of different reasons for it. And, of course, the loss of proteins from blood can themselves cause all kinds of problems depending on the jobs that the proteins are supposed to do. Now, if protein loss is too great, blood then is depleted of these chemicals and begins to seep out of blood vessels because it's no longer retained in blood. There's material in it retaining them in, in the blood vessel. When that happens, it's called edema. And you can see it in people who have problems, their legs swell, any pendant position. You'll get fluids forming in those areas. And sometimes if you have a lot of edema and you lie down and go to sleep, you can't sleep because your lungs are filling up with water. And so you end up sleeping using two or three or four pillows because of that. So edema is just water seeping out of blood vessels into places where it doesn't belong. And then there are genetic diseases that can cause kidney disease, both with the glomeruli and with the tubules as well. There are tubular defects that can happen. There are genetic diseases that alter the ability to resorb glucose or sodium and potassium and all these things, and obviously those are very bad for you as well. Uh, And then, of course, because you're passing water and solutes through the kidney, you can have too much of a calcium or too much urate or too much of something that isn't terribly soluble in water, and it will precipitate out. And those are kidney stones. And that's exactly what they are. They're little stones that end up precipitating out and it doesn't feel good. The types of things that precipitate are calcium, various types of salts of calcium. And if you get an insoluble salt of calcium, you get a calcium stone and they're hard to get rid of, like calcium that you have in your hard water. It's hard to get rid of. Each of these materials in urine has its own solubility coefficient, that is how much of that solute can water hold without it precipitating. Uric acid stones are just another one of those things that can be not soluble enough. Uric acid is a product of, of degrading nucleic acids. So you're making millions, billions of cells every minute. It takes a lot of DNA and RNA and there are also a lot of cells degrading. They end up forming, among other things, uric acid. And unfortunately for some people, if the uric acid is too high, Uh, It can precipitate in the kidney causing stones. It can also precipitate in joints and that's what's called gout. There are lots of different drugs to treat the kidney. If there is an acute loss of blood supply to the kidney, that's an emergency. You have to stop the blood loss or you have to increase blood flow and you use a lot of different drugs uh, to do that. Numerous sclerosis, that is clogging of the filter because you've got You know, these antibodies that are not doing what you'd like them to do, it can be very dangerous for patients. And that's why many SLE patients and patients who had strep throat as a child end up with kidney disease. There are a variety of immunosuppressants that are used to treat those. Glucose management, well, of course, that's diabetes. And one of the new classes of drugs to treat diabetes is this class of drugs called SGLT2 inhibitors. And they not only help you get rid of glucose, but in getting rid of glucose, they tend to get rid of a lot of calories, and sometimes you lose weight as a result of it, too, which is a good thing. Any abnormality in resorption of ions is a problem, and sometimes we have to give vasopressin, sometimes we have to give aldosterone or other things as drugs. And then finally, we can get to blood pressure. Blood pressure is a big problem in the developed world, and we have many kinds of blood pressure medicines. Some of them uh, actually work on the kidney, the renin-angiotensinogen system, for example. There are infections that occur in the urinary tract. Often people talk about kidney infections. Kidney infections are actually very rare. Urinary tract infections are common. Urinary tract infections that are common are typically in the bladder and the tubes that get rid of urine finally from the body. And these are pretty easy to treat. You just give penicillin or one of the cephalosporins and you can get rid of them. If the infection actually gets to the kidney, that's called pyelonephritis, and that can be a real problem to clear up. So in conclusion, the spigot turns out to be a pretty complex system. That filters blood and converts it to urine, and is responsible for resorption of key electrolytes, glucose, and the management of water. The kidney also plays a critical role in minute-by-minute minute management of blood pressure. Of course, it senses its own metabolic activity, and if it doesn't get enough of blood flow, uh, then it can be easily damaged and so on. Since the kidney is near an opening to the external environment, the urinary tract, occasionally it can get infected. More often, infections occur in the bladder and in that part of the system that is, you know, open to the outside and getting rid of the urine. That finishes the cardiovascular system. Uh, Next time we'll move on and cover other topics. I know that the kidney has been a complicated one. The kidney is complex and it's hard to make it as simple as one might like. Thank you.
1: And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorum as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorum comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope, and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorum.org Any questions can be sent into podcast at nlorem.org. Search nlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.